Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lost souls all right so yeah we can we can get going here yeah welcome everyone um to to you know our live twitter space uh you know second time we're doing this the first time like arjun and i did it together uh you know we, we had a lot of fun like a lot of people you know asked asked to speak and like we were able to hear a lot of cool insights like arjun how excited are you to do, to do this again yeah i'm i'm really excited i was kind of sad when i saw that twitter spaces was uh you know not on twitter anymore early in the morning today um, and I was kind of planning to do like a normal episode, but now that we're back on, I'm, I'm super excited to, you know, talk shop and be able to hear some insights from other people, questions that they have, and ultimately just hopefully make this a super interactive experience like we did last time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, yeah, like anyone who wants to like, you know, speak about like one of the topics that we're talking about, just like request to speak. And, you know, we'd, we'd love to have anyone on, um, you know, I think we can start, you know, talking about last night's game, uh, you know, the the 49ers are, you know, legit contenders, even with their third string quarterback. <laughs> and like, I think, you know, we can kind of say the Seahawks are pretenders at this point. And like, I wanted to start with like the big story I think was like the 49ers yards after catch ability. So I looked at like NFL fast R's yards after catch uh, over expected using their, their EPA and Christian McCaffrey ranks first this year among um, all, you know, receiving options that have at least 50 receptions. Debo Samuel ranks second and Austin Eckler ranks third. So, you know, the, the 49ers have the top two uh, receiving options at getting yak overexpected. And, you know, I think Jimmy G, like his accuracy helped with the amount of yards after catch that they would get. But like Purdy seems to have a similar level of accuracy. It's probably not as high as Jimmy G, but there's also a couple things that Purdy does that can, you know, add maybe more of a dynamic element to his offense, but it really just is Kyle Shanahan at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I agree. It it really Kyle Shanahan is the catalyst for this offense. The the plays he was running last night, the the one play that our friend Sean Syed posted about Kittle running the wide delay, like that was such a cool play call because you had the guard pulling to the flat, making it seem like a like a power run or something, and then Kittle is just you know, has the delay streak right up the middle. It's such a tough offense to guard and I think Purdy's doing a very good job just like managing the game, not making many mistakes. I know Quandre Diggs had the bad dropped interception but other than that I mean Purdy was pretty much on his game for the rest of the night only had one turnover worthy play which was the dropped interception it did seem like Shanahan trusted him a little bit more his ADOT was the highest it's been any um any game this season that Purdy's played in and um Purdy I mean he only had like seven dropbacks to play action out of his 28 which is like about 25 percent so it's not like Shanahan is really babying him anymore. I, I do think we're seeing like Shanahan start to trust him a little bit more. And, um, you know, obviously one of the things Shanahan said at the end of his press conference was like Purdy's the most poised rookie he's been able to coach. So I thought those were some pretty telling comments. Obviously, I don't take press conference uh, clips too much into my analysis, but um, I did think some of the stats also backed up, that, backed up that he's trusting Purdy more and more. And against a pretty bad Seahawks defense, I think that was the right time to, you know, 
uh, unleash Purdy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, I try not to take the press conference clips like too much into account either, but like it goes back to the you know the 2020, 2021 draft there where you know Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch trade up to the number three pick, and like you know I thought originally when they traded up to that pick they wanted Justin Fields. Uh, but, you know, eventually, you know, a lot of reports came out that they didn't like Fields and they like Mac Jones instead, but that they ended up taking Trey Lance. And, like, that kind of goes back to, like, the original point. Like, I honestly think that they were trading up for Mac Jones because, like, Kyle Shanahan just loves playing Madden with his quarterbacks. Like, he, he like, loves just scheming up these, like, wide-open receivers and getting, like, an accurate ball that's, you know, on time to to these receiving options like we saw so many times last night. And, like, Trey Lance adds such a dynamic rushing element to, you know, what the 49ers are going to be able to do. But, like, just, like, what we see from, like, when Shanahan is really in his bag and, like, what a quarterback like, you know, Jimmy G or Purdy can give him. Like, I think he just saw Mac Jones be really accurate in college and not have as many, you know, turnover-worthy plays as Jimmy G did and, like, wanted to go for that initially but, like, was talked out of it by either ownership or, or John Lynch or someone like that. Yeah, that unless we're inside the building or you have friends inside the 49ers, you're never really going to get a true answer to that question. But yeah, I do agree. It, it does make it seem like um, the pocket passer was and the accurate, good processing pocket passer was what Shanahan wanted. And it, it has been fun seeing Purdy kind of succeed in this offense. Obviously, very small sample size, um, but it does seem like the early returns are there. You know, going on to the Seahawks quarterback, though, you know, Geno Smith was one of the early revelations of the season um, in the first half of the year, but it does seem like his play has kind of fallen off. He's still the betting market consensus um, comeback player of the year uh, leader, but, you know, I didn't I didn't really have a chance to like really watch the game start to finish. So was there anything you noticed watching the game, looking at some of the stats that you felt were important about Geno Smith? Well, Geno Smith was under pressure on almost every play. In, in the game against the 49ers. And, like, I um, Sam Schwartzstein, you know, on, on Amazon Prime had, like, a great kind of, like, one-minute hit about this on the broadcast last night where he explained that Gino is excelling in rhythm when his time to throw is between 2.5 and 4 seconds. He does that the most often of, I think, any quarterback in the league was what Sam was saying. But he's also been really, really good at it and ranks, like, top five in EPA per play when throwing in rhythm and in between those seconds. And because of the 49ers pass rush last night, he had to get rid of the ball so much quicker than he usually does. And like that just didn't lead to a lot of success. And like you think about, you know, what Lockett and DK Metcalf provide as receivers, it's, you know, downfield targets, a lot of intermediate passes because of, you know, their, their really high catchability, but like Gino didn't have the opportunity for that last night, but he, he also just isn't, you know, playing quarterback at, as high of a level as he used to play. Um, you know, Doug Kayad had really good point where he was fourth in EPA per play over the first half of the season, and he's been 15th in EPA per play um, since. So, you know, he's he's regressed a little bit. And, like, if, you know, I think, you know, with, with kind of like how the Seahawks put him in a quarterback battle with Drew Locke, like, they didn't they didn't expect him to be as good as he was the first half of the season. But, you know, if this, if this Broncos pick that the Seahawks are getting from Denver – stays in the top two I really think that Seattle is gonna think hard about taking a quarterback there instead of you know re-signing Gino and rolling it back I I agree and I think Seattle honestly this was something I wasn't expecting to say before the season but I could see their offense being a good place for a quarterback to step in 
Um, you know, their two rookie tackles, Abraham Lucas, Charles Cross, have both performed like pretty like pretty solid for rookie offensive tackles. Um, and they are playing in a division with like Nick Bosa, um, Aaron Donald, or I guess they're not going to face Aaron Donald as much, but like Leonard Floyd. Um, so, you know, I think they have a good supporting cast for a rookie quarterback to kind of like learn the ropes under Geno. And if they can get Geno on like a Jameis Winston type deal where he's a bridge quarterback, which unfortunately, like, I don't think, I don't think he is a bridge quarterback, but we were kind of seeing that his, you know, his ceiling that once made it seem like he was a top five, top 10 quarterback per EPA um, and PFF grade. Like it's kind of slowly starting to back down. I still do think Geno could be a competent starter though in the league. Like I do still think he could, find his way starting on various NFL teams. I just think we're kind of seeing that the early season success was not something that was sustainable. And, um, you know, his efficiency is obviously taking a hit, like you said, towards the later half of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone wants to chime in, you know, about, about this topic too, like feel free to, to request to speak here. We'd love to hear anyone's thoughts, but yeah, no, I, I do agree. I think he's done a lot to deserve that he should be a starter. And you bring up Jameis Winston, who was kind of in that same boat, where like he he wanted to uh you know he 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 wanted to he he did enough to you know become a starter uh when when he was with Tampa and he had to sit for a year in New Orleans but eventually got his shot in uh in New Orleans and like I think Gino can get a similar contract similar you know level of uh play there when when you can you can do something like that and you know we can bring in uh our, our friend Eric Eager here uh, Eric, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I didn't realize there were so many uh, Patrick Queen supporters in the world. Um, but I, but I'm, but I'm here, I'm surviving, uh, watching this great bowl <laughs> game. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting, right? Because with Gino, like, I think Gino has been pretty damn good this year, but in the, but like, do we, do, do any of us think that when he makes, you know, I mean, what, what does a deal look like? Does it look like 30 to 35 million? And if he makes that much? can the Seahawks really competently build a great roster around him is I, I guess a question because I I'm going to sell that idea, but I know it, it's whenever you say stuff like that, it's like, it's um it's you're basically implying to some people that Gino hasn't played well, which is absolutely not the case. Yeah. I mean, I could step in here. Like I, I agree with everything you just said. Like it, you, I think you're going to, if you say that Gino hasn't played well, you're, I think you're wrong, but it's so tough to give a quarterback like that amount of money, especially just based on one year of play, whether it was a lead play or not. Like we just don't know like how he's going to perform the next year. Cause we've only seen him in this offense for one year. And I will pose the idea that like the Seahawks offense has been relatively healthy. Like I know they lost Rashad Penny, but Kenneth Walker has been a, a capable back. Like they've had Metcalf and Lockett healthy. Noah Fan Disley have both been healthy. Both their rookie tackles have played the majority of the year. Like I do think a lot of things have gone right for Gino, and he has taken advantage of those opportunities. I but I I agree with you, Eric. I just it's tough to really justify that thirty thirty five million dollar deal because I mean I don't I don't really know if Seattle would be able to build a roster around that if they have to pay him that much money. Yeah, you sort of got the New Orleans. You kind of already got the New Orleans 2017 draft, you know, because like you know the Saints had three straight seven and nine years when Breeze was making all that money, and like they kind of struggled, and they got out of it by you know the 2016 draft, which got them Michael Thomas, uh, the 2017 draft, which got them like Marcus Williams and you know Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchek, and, and I'm trying to remember the last one, Marshawn Lattimore, and it's like that got them out of. 
that got them out of like the difficulties of paying a, a, a high priced quarterback. Breeze is much better than Geno, and the and the Seahawks have already had their their that draft with Lucas and and Cross and Walker uh, and Woolen, and it's it's netted them a seven and seven record in like a you know very very poor NFC. So I, I just think like okay, if that's the ceiling with Geno Smith, you you, you yeah. have to sell it off. Yeah, no, I I, I do feel that and. Yeah, and I, that's why I think it'll be really interesting to see kind of the, the path that they take here. But, you know, while, while you're here, I feel like we need to uh, preview Lions-Jets, you know, might, might be the, the game of the weekend here. What are, what are some of your thoughts about, about this game that we have? I mean, you know, I, every time I get to watch Zach Wilson play, it's a privilege given, like, how much I really liked <laughs> Zach coming out of BYU. I felt like uh, – and it might just have been how much I liked Jim McMahon back in the day, and I saw, like, similarities, but he's – he certainly has not been that player. Um, I, the funny thing is, though, Tage, right? Like, we were watching the game the other day, and, like, I feel like the roar has already been restored, right? Like, the fact that the Lions were two-and-a-half-point favorites against Minnesota, um, you know, I feel like the market has already sort of caught up to them. You, we're not laying the points with the Lions this week, are we? I, I feel like it's just too much. Yeah, no, I mean, that, being favored against the Vikings – and being, you know, the, the 15th best uh, team in the betting market implied ratings that Ben Baldwin puts out every week kind of like signified like, all right, like we saw that, you know, really good offensive line, you know, despite what the advanced metrics say, like, I don't know why they're not showing up highly in advanced metrics, but they've really improved over the second half of the season. And like, this is a big test for them on Sunday going up against Quinn Williams, John Franklin Myers, uh, you know, the, the rest of that Jets defensive line there and so like that's that's like the thing i think about this game is the lions are a good football team like they've been playing well this this um you know second half of the season everything but golf ranks 25th in epa for play under pressure and sixth when he's not pressured right so when you have a jets defensive line that gets pressure at a top 10 rate in the league we might start to see the limitations of golf in this game and then like the other aspect of it is saint brown is has been so crucial for the Lions, especially on third down this season. And if the Jets, you know, put Sauce Gardner on St. Brown when on these third downs or, you know, when St. Brown is not lined up in the slot and more on Sauce's side, we might not be able to get those conversions as much. So there's there's a couple offensive concerns in this game just because I think the Jets match up well against the Lions. But overall, we know that the Lions are a good team and, like, led by their offense and their offensive line and receivers right now, which is which is really reassuring. Yeah, I think that the Lions, though, get, they get lucky in a few ways, right? Because, as you said, like, Sauce doesn't really travel inside. And he's also mm-hmm. kind of a longer levered corner where St. Brown's more of a shiftier guy. The, the Lions have wide receivers that, like, a reasonable defensive coordinator would put Sauce on because they could still be, like, Chark and Williams and stuff could be effective there. Um, so I, I don't know. And then the other one that's interesting, because obviously the Lions are much better at center and tackle than they are at guard. Um, Williams has not practiced yet this week. He still could play. But I even think if he plays, yeah. you're, you're looking at, like, an, like maybe a – him being a little short of the effectiveness that the Jets are accustomed to. So the the Lions, you know, after years and years and years, Tage, of like them being so unlucky, I feel like they're they're catching some breaks here. <laughs> it it does feel weird that like yeah, some of the things have gone well. Like for like last week, for example, for the Justin Jefferson 
almost 70 yard touchdown to be called out of bounds when like he might or may or may not have been out of bounds. Like that's something that never happens to the lions. And like, that's like a call that went their way that that was surprising there. And like, yeah, the break of like, I'm probably gonna, you know, eat my words for this, but getting the break of playing Zach Wilson instead of Mike white, you know, you're going from Mike white, who was about league average in EPA per play, uh, you know, positive 0.1 and then Zach Wilson, negative 0.09 which is bottom five in the league. Like we've seen, you know, we've seen backup quarterbacks tear up the lines before, but, and Zach Wilson, you know, actually had to face like a gauntlet of pass defenses when he was starting uh, for, for the Jets, you know, between the Broncos, the Patriots twice, all those sorts of teams. But like, he still hasn't shown that he can be like a starting level NFL quarterback, whereas I think Mike White did. But so like the Lions defense getting that break, you know, when, when they needed to, I think, like, could help them a lot in this game as well. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll get off here so I can let some other people talk. But I, I do think the thing, with, the thing with Wilson that the Jets are going to miss is the fact that Mike White, like, the, the Jets, you know, as much as uh, my friend and former colleague George Shahuri liked to give them crap, like, did build a pretty good roster this offseason. You know, we have Garrett Wilson and uh, you're also, I think, missing Corey Davis this week, if I'm not mistaken. I know he's injured. I don't know if he's playing or not. But you have two tight ends in Conklin and and uh, um, and Uzama, who's who you know, and White was just kind of getting the ball out of his hands and into the hands of playmakers, and like wasn't trying to do too much most of the time. Yeah. And that was that was always what Wilson struggled with. And I, I feel like the Lions are have actually been a defense that will take advantage of mistakes by a quarterback, but aren't the kind of defense that you know, you can trust to make six tackles in a row, which is what, like, Mike White was going to make them do with, with that, you know, skill position group. Uh, so I think even in this way, it, it plays into what the Lions are actually decent at. Where they've been able to capitalize on kind of what I would consider sloppy quarterback play this year. Yeah, no, those are some great points. And, like, the last thing I want to bring up, kind of just talking about Quentin Williams, like Frank Ragnow, also questionable for the Lions. We did see him miss one game against the Commanders, who, in my opinion, have one of the best front fours in the league. And the Lions still kind of did whatever they wanted on offense. Um, you know, typically, at least from a betting perspective, I'd like to bet on elite offenses over elite defenses. But we have seen this elite Jets defense kind of stop elite offenses like the Buffalo Bills last week, even on the road. So it, it is going to be a matchup. You know, Mina Kimes, who's a, a you know, favorite of the podcast, we, she kind of talked about how the Jets have the number one defense versus play action this year per, per EPA per play. So it is going to be a battle. I think it does come down to, like, how Zach Wilson performs against this, you know, okay, pretty bad uh, Lions defense. But um, definitely a very interesting matchup. And, again, Eric Soup, I really appreciate your insights. Of course, fellas. Uh, coming on the, the spaces. Yeah, great job with this. I, I can't wait to, uh, to I, you know, I, I, I'll let some other people talk, but great work with this. And uh, you guys' pod is one of my favorites every week. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on. And for everyone listening, you know, that doesn't know, I'm sure everyone knows, but Eric has his own podcast twice a week with Thomas Dimitrov, the Sumer Sports Show. That's like a wonderful listen every week so you know be, be sure to check that out if you're listening to this and yeah thanks again eric okay so now we have um at bash don't push is handle is detective maury uh if you want to unmute yourself yeah detective maury you know he's a cartoon character so that's not my name yeah. <laughs> um but how you doing man yeah i'm doing good how are you guys doing well um, is there a specific yeah. game or 
you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I just wanted to I have a question. So after watching last night's game, I checked the numbers because that was Purdy's third game, right, that he has played in. Mm-hmm. And yes, I see yep. that he has been, in those three games, I checked between week 13 and week 15 um, because I think he only missed one drive in week 13. And I see that he is um, sixth in EPA per play and seventh in success rate. Like, what does this mean? Is he that good? Because I don't know. Like, I just wanted to hear what you guys think about him. Yeah, so, the, you know, the interesting thing, I think, with kind of like how Kyle Shanahan um, has dealt with, like, backup quarterbacks in the past in San Francisco is, like, Nick Mullins was, you know, a really efficient quarterback his first couple weeks when he had to start for uh, the 49ers when Jimmy G got injured and eventually it tapered off. And so you can kind of do this when, when you have a backup quarterback and when you have as good of a play caller as you have in Kyle Shanahan, you can catch lightning in a bottle for a couple games in a row. And like, that's what the 49ers are doing right now. And like that could lead, you know, in, into the playoffs since we're at the end of the season here, but eventually defenses do start to key in on the weaknesses of like a quarterback pick in the seventh round. So, you know, Purdy has played well and has, has made some good throws, but we saw, you know, slight limitations last night with you know the pretty big dropped interception um or you know some of the some of the things that you know he he has to make when he has to throw into tight windows but he he, i mean he hits open receivers really well and like if open receivers are happening as often as they've been happening for the 49ers it might not matter you know but when they play some of the top end defenses in the playoffs I, i do think that there will be some limitations from purdy yeah i mean he did have uh, an oblique injury. So I'm willing to kind of give him a little bit of grace regarding yeah. like, because um, it looked like he was in pain, like kind of like wincing after every time he threw. Um, but it's an interesting story though. Um, uh, to me, the best NFC championship matchup for me would be Eagles 49ers. I feel like that would be, yes. like even with Purdy, <laughs> to me, that would be an epic match. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. I like, I love both of those teams and like kind of how they've constructed their rosters and run their teams. Uh, both the coaches have done tremendous jobs, kind of maximizing the talent on the roster. Um, and you know, just giving my thought on on Purdy and and that kind of thing. Like Kevin Cole had a really cool graph today, kind of like talking about adjusting offensive efficiency or offensive EPA. And Jimmy G went from being like a top five quarterback in EPA and after adjusting for receivers and a bunch of other, um, uh, a bunch of other con- contextual clues, he, his EPA or adjusted EPA dropped to like near middle of the pack. Like he was right between Kyler Murray and Derek Carr. So I think that kind of shows like how, how much um, better situations the 49er quarterbacks are being put in. Um, so again, like it, it is an interesting conundrum because I, I, Jimmy's obviously performed at, you know, his production is, is at a high level almost every single year. But I think like once you do things like what Kevin Cole did, which is adjust for context, it doesn't show up that high. So, you know, the, the, there was a huge EPA versus PFF grade versus film debate the other day. We, we talked about it on our Wednesday episode. Um, and there's certainly ways to go about like contextualizing EPA in, in certain context, in certain, uh, in certain ways. Um, but I think like the Purdy thing is kind of a small sample size right now. And we have to get a couple more games, especially against some better defenses to really get a gauge on how good he is. Tage, do you have any kind of thoughts about that and Kevin Cole's graph? Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up Kevin Cole's graph. Um, 
because yeah, because that's what we think Jimmy G is, right? We think Jimmy G is an average quarterback, a Kirk, uh, as you would put it, <laughs> that keeps the boat afloat really well, right? Like he doesn't do things that sinks the ship. He doesn't like put holes in the side of the boat, and like that's why you know I I think like he can he can run San Francisco's offense at a top five passing you know efficiency level every single year, and like that's why this this kind of works you know when and with Purdy I think you know Purdy is less of a Jimmy G type quarterback as he is more of like a Mike White Taylor Heineke type quarterback where they do do some things with their legs out of structure and they can they can throw outside the numbers and they're like a little more erratic, but like it also works when, you know, you have this type of thing. So, you know, I think like going forward, 49ers will probably, you know, get rid of Jimmy G this off season and roll with Vance and Purdy as their quarterback one and quarterback two. And like, that's what I think will be super interesting to see. Like, all right. So we've seen, you know, kind of like this iteration of the offense um, where it's like a very low average depth of target and, you know, relying a lot on yards after catch to like a Trey Lance offense where it'll be a lot more designed rushes, you know, maybe some more outside the numbers throws, deeper throws down the field, different things like that. So that'll be like the next step for them to take. I don't know if they necessarily have to take it because their offense works so well with this type of quarterback that they're working with right now. But I can see why Kyle Shanahan would get annoyed of some of the arm strength limitations that both Jimmy G and Purdy have. All right. Well, uh, buddy, if you do you have anything else you want to add or No, I about? just wanted to say what is the sample size? Like what would you say would be a good enough sample size for us to find out what if Purdy is like a, like can be good enough? <laughs> like what would it be? Like would he would it be like after the NFC Championship game then we would know like if he is good enough to be a like a even like a solid starter, not even like a superstar. Yeah, I mean, first of all, sample sizes in the NFL are so small, but I mean, I think the answer has, like, typically, if we're talking about young quarterbacks, the answer would be two seasons of data, at least, Mm -hmm. but he's not going to get that, right? So, yeah, I guess, like, at least through the NFC Championship would be an okay estimate of, like, how he is. Obviously, I think you need to see, like, what, like, the defenses he's playing, the type of throws he's making, Um, but I don't know. Tage, do you have a good answer for this? Because I feel like for young quarterbacks, you need at least like two years of data for like EPA and like passing grade to stabilize and kind of give you a good idea of like that type of quarterback in the future. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're thinking for like future success or like committing to him long-term, you wouldn't need to see sustained success in 2023 because like we've seen quarterbacks have one, you know, efficient season where they go far in the playoffs before, but when, you know, defensive coordinators spend an entire offseason trying to figure out how to stop the things that made you successful and exploit your weaknesses, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it takes an adjustment period. And, you know, we saw this with the Bengals where, uh, you know, they, they had, you know, Burrow played really well at the end of last year. They went to the Super Bowl. And, you know, the first couple weeks of this year was a lot of kind of like defenses playing a lot of cover two. And, like, then the Bengals had to make their counterpunch to that. And now we, like, know that Burrow is, like, a, a very good NFL quarterback um, going forward because he was able to do it in the year after the year where he kind of broke onto the scene. So I would need to see that from Purdy as well. Yeah, makes sense. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming right, on. Really you coming on. All right. Um, so now we have Sean Syed, one of the, uh, the smartest 
people on this app, the best film speakers on this app, or uh, film watchers on this app. Sean, can you, can you hear us, buddy? Yeah, guys, always appreciate it. I hate that we have to keep talking about the 49ers because I know how excited you guys are to talk about Vikings Colts. But I was just – I had the film up. I was just watching Brock Purdy. And, uh, again, my assessment, I'm not saying, like, I have the best eyes on earth. But it's almost – it's kind of unfair to Brock. But in a weird way, I kind of feel like I don't get anything from the Seahawks team, which isn't fully true. But more saying that because I've seen, like, four or five clips, right? Of course, the wide delay. Great execution. I mean, that's a schemed up play, right? The, the Kittle touchdown, yeah. that's a schemed up one. I'm seeing like the front side leak, that's a schemed up one. And so a great point in that football is such a small sample size sport consistently, right? It's not that I get 15 third down reps of Brock Purdy like dropping back against cover two, cover four, cover six, cover eight, right? But I don't know, like this didn't really teach me anything about him. But what is yeah. so funny about this is just co- comparing it to Jimmy G in that they're obviously so different stylistically. So I follow like a lot of the Niners guys and I can like sense their excitement. Not that they don't like Jimmy G, but just that it's something different. Right. And I know that, uh, Tej Arjun, I, like I was so happy to talk about Trey Lance in like our preseason podcast when I was on because of how exciting, like, Oh, well, what could it look right? So maybe Kyle thinks, all right, well, this is like a, like a super slim down version without obviously the quarterback run game of what we get. But my like assessment on Brock from just this looking at the Seahawks game and then obviously Washington versus the Bucks, where it seemed like, all right, well, some of that stuff may be unstable, right? The throws against pressure or like how he's doing that, but it's still exciting, right? I'm sure that it's, it's fun to watch, but I just didn't feel like I didn't get a lot from the Seahawks game, which might be unfair, but Hey, if you're throwing a wide open guys, you know, like, like plug in whoever you can, and I think you're going to get good results there. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, that was great insight, Sean. And yeah, everyone listening, you know, Sean writes, um, you know, for the Daily Norseman, uh, Vikings writer for SB Nation, and yeah, we can hop over to the, the Saturday games tomorrow. You know, full slate, and you know, I think you did a really good job of breaking down how the Chargers defense and Brandon Staley kind of you know stopped the 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 uh, Dolphins, you know pretty explosive passing game coming into that game that like only really had the one explosive play to Tyreek Hill down the right sideline. You know, the, the uh, Dolphins are seeing an uptick of 20% more press coverage as charted by PFF and Tua's yards per attempt against press coverage um, was pretty good. You know, I think it was 8.1 the first 12 weeks of the season. Then these last two weeks, it's been 6.7 yards per attempt against press coverage. So what do you kind of see, you know, like are, are the bills, do you think going to do the same thing? Uh, tomorrow against against the Dolphins, or do you see you know Mike McDaniel kind of having like some type of counter punch that can you know help the Dolphins get back to where they were offensively? Awesome, awesome thoughts, awesome questions. So my thought when you think of like, do we have a quote blueprint to beat the Dolphins? Like the Niners game, some of that to me, like when I watch that tape, that has to be kind of pushed out just because I don't know how many people can replicate obviously the talent level of the 49ers, how much you can get after the quarterback at that level. And the Chargers game, I mean, I was I know that Arjun was so geeked up about it the whole entire time. That is like a <laughs> like wow. This guy is so far in his bag. Like uh, whatever you would think of Brandon Staley as a head coach, like fantastic. So how much of that can translate over is interesting to me. Like the philosophical points of okay, we want to challenge first and foremost. To me, really, like their offensive line isn't fully healthy, right? I don't think that it's doing like the greatest job on earth. So if you can cause pressure with four I think the Bills can do that like that's going to be a big part of the success and I just love what Staley did because look 
I think it was his quote, right? Like, we can get into a track meet with them. We're going to lose that track meet. So you have to fight back, right? Hashtag fight back would be my hashtag if I could get it spread across everywhere. Because on defense, you have to do something, right? You can't just watch that. And I think that the Bills had some reps of, like, some press early on. And they have to watch that film and say, well, let's get Kyrie Elam, like, in his in, in Tyreek Hill's face. And yeah. watching the Chargers game was interesting because it seemed part, part of it is, like, okay, it's specifically based on, well, how do we want to match up versus this motion, right? Or how do we want to match up when Waddle's on one side? And just, it's it kind of stinks on the Dolphins and that it's like, all right, well, the thought going in was no one's going to play a man because we can't just run by you, right? And it's funny to, not to make it about the Vikings, but comparing a few games earlier on for the Vikings where Kirk Cousins, the challenge was, okay, get in man coverage against them, press, press these receivers, and what are you going to do now, right? So I like that we also saw a clip of Tyreek Hill's big touchdown too, not the fumble one, but the Bills, I think it sucks to think about. But you kind of have to be okay with that, right? Especially when, yeah. like, Mike White is just playing, like, totally over his shoes. Like, in some of these plays, like, making such such a good effort. So how much can you tell your linebackers, all right, well, you need to get depth, one. And I think that that's what, like, those linebackers understand that. Like, they do a good job in their zone coverage of getting depth, right? Like, the old, yeah. it's funny to compare, not compare two to Mahomes, but, okay, we used to tell Mahomes, hey, like, people are playing so deep, just take the check down. It's funny to think, well, is that what we have to tell Tua now, right? Like, you are not <laughs> yeah. Patrick Mahomes, right? But defenses are playing you like that because I think Mike McDaniel is great because you have so much talent. So I would like that. And I know that I never want to come on these podcasts with all you guys and tell people to run the ball. But I do think you can get into premium run looks against teams yeah. that are going to, like, they have to devote so many resources to the back end. And I think that Dolphins have, like, some kind of mediocre success with that. So – Hashtag run the ball, uh, for one, I think, for the Dolphins. <laughs> but I, I trust McDaniel to have something where it's just, like, different kind of rubs and ways to – Tua likes – like, he's fine taking three steps and throwing the ball in the air, right? Like, the cool popcorn arm quarterback move where we see people do that, he's fine doing that. I think that – I mean, I think the Bills are going to win the game, candidly, but I don't think the blueprint is just that simple. But if you can have offensive line – issues or forced kind of interior pressure as well as, Hey, I need to get to it to pick one extra step. I think you'll have success on the defensive end for sure. Yeah. Just to put some context to what you said, like the last two weeks, the dolphins EPA per pass negative 0.24, but 0.055 EPA per rush. So they have been successful, like kind of running the ball, um, you know, Armstead's kind of playing hurt and Greg little, who I believe is their right tackle. Isn't that good. But I, I do agree. Like I, I kind of talked about it on our Wednesday show. Like the Dolphins are kind of feel like the Bengals right now, where they, they do well in the intermediate and deep range, but Tua doesn't really pro- like. I obviously I'm not one to talk as like a Q, Q, QB guru, but like it doesn't seem like he processes well enough post snap, and he doesn't go through like read one to read two to to check down. Like and sometimes taking the check down is okay. Like I know people like to talk about check down merchants and all that stuff, but. Like, if the checkdown works and you're getting positive yards, you're getting a successful play, um, you know, it doesn't hurt to take the checkdown. And, you know, going to this game, you know, Sean kind of talked about the linebackers. Like, I think Bills have – so Matt Milano, in my opinion, is one of the, the five linebackers that matter. But also, I think <laughs> Tremaine Edmonds has been tremendous this year. Or not tremendous. I think he's been playing at a level that we haven't really seen him play before. And, you know, one of the things about the Niners defense, like they succeed in, in running nickel, like Dre Greenlaw has been lauded by some people like Deontay Lee and Nate Ties, like people who I respect, has have been talking about Dre Greenlaw as like a top 10 linebacker. Like the Bills have one of the few 
linebacker units that can rival the, the Niners in terms of number one, the, their athleticism and number two, their playing coverage. Right. Like I know uh, PFF grades, like their coverage grades aren't, you know, that great in terms of, in terms of coverage grades, but like both the uh, Bills linebackers are grading out in the eighties for the Bills. And like just on, on film also, like when I was watching the Detroit game with Tage on Thanksgiving, like Matt Milano was everywhere in the backfield. Mm-hmm. He was guarding the flats. Like I think the Bills yep. actually have, one of the few linebacking corps that can get to depth while also playing the flats, um, given all the speed that the Dolphins have. Sean, so like, do you think that because of like that kind of athleticism, we could see the Bills try to replicate the Niners game plan? Because both of them have personnel that match up very well, similar to like Charverius Ward, you have Tredavious White, right? And like Hufunga, you have Jordan Poirier. Nick Bosa, you have like Greg Rousseau. Like there's a lot of similarities that I see between the Niners and Bills. So like, do you think that will also play into um, the Bills trying to replicate what the Chargers and the, the Niners did. I think that's a, a good point that maybe the Bills look and say, hey, we're not we're not the 49ers on defense, but maybe we can get closer to that game plan as opposed to the way the Chargers match route. So the way that they're going to drop, my obviously my favorite player, Drew Tranquil, like 40 yards down the field. So <laughs> I do think so. Obviously, I, mean, I know we, we got some good Fred, Fred Warner tweets on, the, on here uh, today, but you can't expect like the same level of play, but uh, you know, I'll, I guess I'm just excited to see, well, what are those guys going to be fine? Just like as a linebacker, just like let the run up almost, right. It's, it's obviously an oversimplification, but especially on a lot of those plays where Tua is getting into his read action, like, Hey, if we make a tackle at five yards, as opposed to letting Tyree kill kind of 15 yards at that level, like, I don't know. I think as, as a math guy myself, right. You're fine with that. So maybe not at the Niners level, but I could see it. I think I, I could be convinced for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And yeah, no, I think I think that's really what this game comes down to is linebackers getting depth and, you know, how well they can cover it if the Dolphins decide to, you know, run the ball or um or or you know, take their take their check down more often. So yeah, Sean, really really appreciate you you joining us to talk. You know, I, I love listening to you talk about this stuff all the time and yeah, again, for anyone out there, you know, be sure to check out Sean's stuff at the Daily Norseman, you know, writing about the Vikings who, who have a pretty big game tomorrow as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're excited for that as you, you always get for every Vikings game. <laughs> yeah, you guys are the best. I don't know. Can I bother you? Can I get just like like 90 seconds on the whole Vikings defense thing before you yeah. guys get into their game? So, right, the idea, Vikings play way too much off coverage, or that's what I think the outlook is. Like the Vikings are the – like infancy of the Fangio defense, like first year with Ed Donatel. I, I think it's clear, like they are getting into some more complex stuff. But to me, when I watch them in man coverage, it's not really that much better, right? So I think that the Vikings are in an interesting point where they have four games upcoming where candidly, I don't think they're going to get the two seed. I don't think, like, I do think they're going to win the North. Sorry, Lions. I think the Lions will get in maybe through the wild card. But like they have an interesting, like four game stretch where it's obviously not the preseason, but like, this is the best time to work out your kinks. And it's instincts mm-hmm. to say, hey, like, a lot of the stuff that could clean this up, like, should have been or could have been done in the summer. But I really do think a lot of it is kind of like technique fundamental things, right? Because we're not going to get, like, prime Darrell Revis and put him on an island, right? Like, that is not what's on the roster when you have a practice squad cornerback who's, like, like doing his best job, but, like, he's not going to be able to play in man coverage. And Right, like I'm, I know that there's bad, bad stats when they have off coverage. I would like to see that, like them take the air out of their coverage a little bit, right? Where maybe their corners are just playing a little stickier, as opposed to saying, 
hey, let's get in man coverage all across the board, right? Like Ed Donatel comes from Fangio, yeah. from the Broncos last year. I, I can't say I know, but I really do think that like the highest level of this is that they could play man coverage on third down, right? Because that's what the Broncos did when they had just the highest level of talent. And the Bears were so good at that too during kind of those Fangio dates. So to me, I think defense, a lot of the times it ends up being like, hey, like we have to do kind of what we have to do, not what we want to do, right? I think they would love to play man coverage. They struggle in man coverage because one, teams are good at manipulating that, right? Like there's a snap versus the Lions where they get into a stack. And when you're in a stack, you obviously can't play man coverage in the same way. So mm-hmm. I would love to see over the next four weeks, obviously not your preseason, but this is your time to like, it's so whack to say, but hey, get back to fundamentals, right? Like we cannot have safeties hammering down the wrong way or like just being like over, over aggressive to the point where it undresses someone else. And I do think like, okay, maybe we can like lower our yards of separation from cornerback a little bit, but we still can't do that as a whole, right? If our philosophy that we're committed to is make them take another snap, right? We are fine if they throw the ball uh, underneath or if they get three or four yards in the run game, we are going to make them snap it again. And yeah, you're going to look real bad against the Lions when you get, uh, I, I, I'm sure the pressure numbers were fairly low, but I know they had no turnovers, right? Like if you're banking yeah. on, make them snap again make them snap again we're gonna get a turnover eventually and you don't like you're not gonna look great right so mm-hmm. it was weird watching the vikings tape and being like okay well this isn't the 32nd like team in defense that i've watched all year right like they're not the worst there's obviously like there is talent there it's like props to the lines especially when you hold up hunter and smith well but that's my that's my initial thoughts on the vikings defense as they go into this kind of fun four-week stretch yeah, no, I I love that uh, breakdown. I mean, I didn't notice all that stuff when when I was watching the Lions game. You you pick up on a lot more stuff than I do, but I I did see a lot of that, and that's something I talked to um you know our friend Matthew Collar about, who also covers the Vikings, about like the Vikings defense was allowing like a decent amount of points and yards and EPA and stuff through the first three quarters, and then they would get like a crucial turnover in basically every. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply fourth quarter you know the Patrick Peterson interception against the Bills or different stuff like that and that would kind of be the turning point for them in in all these games but they weren't able to get that against the Lions and like we saw you know them them letting up that many points like kind of be the effect of that but yeah like thanks again Sean you know for for coming on like always always really really enjoy you know everything you tweet out you write uh and and when you when you come on here and, and talk to us as well appreciate you guys thanks so much all right um, so we have CD, uh, please TD. Yeah. Um, I believe, yeah, you were on last time. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Pretty doing good. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so I guess first, like a thing I'll just say, um, for, I hope I like don't box the pronunciation or Jean, right? Yeah. Um, I'm, there's a, a, a decent chance I might be in attendance in the next Chargers game. So that'll be fun. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, this is a question. I mean, both of you can answer, but I think like Tej would probably, if hopefully I'm not botching this, would probably want to take the lead on this. But um, you know, I was looking through um, because it's like a like a long term question about Jared Goff. Um, you know, 
uh, there's a because I have a good friend who's a Lions fan. We like we we argue about this a lot. Um, he's a big fan of him. Um, I've kind of noticed that like his uh the like you know with the turnover worthy plays there like that is a lot and it I don't know if it's like because you actually you know watch him much more than I do. Like if if it's a lot of luck or whatnot. But, like in terms of the long term, if the Lions are like. And how how would you want to address like the long term quarterback situation? Whether it's like a possible C.J. Stroud, or looking at maybe keeping him on the roster but having a you know a developmental guy behind them or whatnot. Like how 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 do, how would you want to see the Lions like long term quarterback situation um, go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no thanks thanks for the question. And this is something that you know I've I've thought a lot about the past couple of weeks and. You know, basically what it what it kind of comes down to is we've seen this before, right? Like we saw Jared Goff when he was drafted by the Rams, had one of the worst rookie seasons in NFL history. But that was with Jeff Fisher. Last season with the Lions, he was, you know, one of the one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, but not like that bad. But then his second year with the Rams, you know, very, very efficient season with great play calling, uh, you know, great receivers and a a really good offensive line. He's getting all of that in Detroit right now. You know, Ben Johnson, keep him a secret. Don't let him get into head coaching talks. But Ben Johnson is one of the best play callers in the league right now. The receiving options are really, really good. And the offensive line has really come into its own second season. So the Rams ended up committing to Jared Goff long-term and had to get out of that, that deal essentially because when the offensive line starts to break down and Goff gets pressured, you know, he's not as good of a quarterback uh, as when he's kept clean. It's, it's not particularly close, um, you know, and when there's no secondary receiving options, you know, Goff isn't able to get to a lot of his of his second reads. That holds true for every quarterback, but it's especially true for Goff. And, you know, that's why I say Goff isn't a good or a bad quarterback. He's kind of in that middle tier. And that's fine when you have all these pieces in place like the Lions have had this year. But if you were to lose your play caller or you were to lose some pieces on your offensive line because you committed to Goff long-term and and gave him an extension, uh, you know, I I think that is troubling for the Lions. I think Goff has done enough to start next year with a quarterback that the Lions draft in this year's draft sitting behind him in case that the wheels fall off. And, like, I think, you know, he he might deserve the opportunity to be the Lions starting quarterback next year. But in this draft with the Rams pick that they have that will probably be a top-five pick, they should be looking at a quarterback in that position. And if they don't like any quarterbacks in that spot, they should be looking at a quarterback with their second first round pick or their second or third round picks that they have uh, and taking, you know, a, a mid round quarterback and trying to develop him behind golf for a year and, and going with that. Arjun, do you have, do you have any thoughts on the, the situation? Yeah. Um, totally agree with everything you just said. And again, I, I want to highlight like one of the points we talked about on our, on our Wednesday show, like you're going to have to pay, Guys like Amonra St. Brown, Penny Sewell, uh, Jeffrey Okuda, like their contracts are going to be up down the road. And like if you commit to Jared Goff like long, long term for the next five, six years, you're not going to have the money to pay all of those guys. But what you can do is act, you know, have uh, Goff as a bridge quarterback and then you bring in a guy like Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or a developmental guy from the second and third round and, you know, let them develop under under Goff next year. Because, you know, obviously it's a lot of projection, but the NFC, again, is going to be pretty wide open next year. Like, no one knows what Rodgers and Brady are doing. Kyler, at this point, I mean, he might not even play next year. Like, there's going to be a lack of QB talent in the NFC next year. And someone like Jared Goff with a perfect situation with J-Mo, uh, Amon Ra, some one of Reynolds and Chark, 
healthy, great offensive line with hopefully Ben Johnson calling plays, like that could be a pretty good offense. But the ceiling is obviously what you want to chase. And I think you you probably have a better ceiling or a higher ceiling with a guy like C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or even a developmental guy like Anthony Richardson who has mobility and stuff. So, um, I, you know, obviously I think Tage is a little more in tune with the, the lines, but I think there's other aspects like even outside of football when talking about like the salary cap and, you know, just like non-quarterback things that I think the Lions should consider in the draft, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand what you get. Like, because um, I've been kind of saying, because I don't know, I, I I make like little mock drafts for fun. And it's like, to me, I've, I've kind of viewed it as like, I, I don't know how to like put it like perfectly, but it's like with the developmental quarterbacks, obviously behind golf, but I, I feel like guys like Young and Stroud are guys that you want. You kind of, even if it might not be as great, I kind of feel like they're high floor, top 10, but not top five ceilings. I don't know if you'd agree with those assessments um, that are like, um, you kind of want starting right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it, I don't know. It, it's interesting because then, you know, one of those two guys, I think how, I think it's like 30 million um, if you move off of golf that you can open up to invest in some other areas of the roster and obviously use that for you know those long-term extensions as well um but yeah it's a very interesting question to me because you know there's so much gray area um you know with the lines how they can go and like in my opinion the in terms of just the nfc north as a whole this off season is going to be big for the whole division and set the tone for possibly the next five plus years for like every team um but, um, yeah, um, another question that, you know, it's also kind of draft-related. I'm not sure, you know, how much you, you look into that. But, like, kind of like comparing. But it was also, like, positional, like a positional value question. Um, mm-hmm. So, do you – would you prefer, like – and it is, like, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson. Do you prefer, like, the impact of, like, an elite – edge rusher or an elite defensive tackle and obviously some teams need one more than the other but like a situation like the bears where they could use both um what would your like preference be um yeah no i i love this question actually um if you were to ask me a year ago i would have said edge rusher pretty easily but when you're looking around the league this year the things that defensive tackles are doing for certain teams is pretty crazy right now you know you look at the uh, Arjun, you talked about DJ Reader on our Wednesday show. You know, DJ yeah. Reader, what he's done for the Bengals has been, you know, pretty insane. And, uh, you know, Jets with Quinnen Williams, Titans with Jeffrey Simmons, um, you know, Dolphins with Christian Wilkins. Like, all these defensive tackles right now because of the way that the league is going. Uh, and, like, you know, kind of like what we've seen from these teams is that, like, defensive tackle is becoming more important. Um, you know, I would still lean edge rusher from like a positional value perspective if the prospects were the exact same. And, you know, draft season for me starts in February. So I haven't like really dug into uh, Jalen Carter versus Will Anderson yet. But I, I, I've heard that, you know, Jalen Carter is, you know, probably considered the better prospect. And so that's when you have to, you know, kind of think about the way that you want to build your defense. If you want to build it through its spine, you know, you can go with a Jalen Carter type and, you know, kind of lock down the middle and, you know, have both of the A-gaps covered in the run game and then, you know, have someone who can disrupt, you know, quarterbacks, um, you know, pretty quickly if they were able to blow past the center and guard in the pass game. But then if you want that true, you know, elite 
edge rusher that has the bend around the edge that can, you know, get to the quarterback more often, you know, edge rushers usually have higher pressure rate. And there's also, you know, fewer like good edge rushers in the league that can like truly take over a game. So you have like mm-hmm. a wider uh, outcome there. So if, if you land Will Anderson, he's a top five edge rusher in the league. That's like as important as any other non-quarterback position. Yeah. And I also think to that point, um, the surplus value you get on a defensive tackle near the top of the draft is higher than what you get on an edge rusher. And this is something that, um, you know, Timo, Timo Riske, who uh, works at PFF, data scientist at PFF, looked at, like, if you draft a D tackle in, like, the top 15, top 10 picks, they give you more surplus value than an edge player. And I think, like, it does seem a little bit counterintuitive, like, edge rushers, you know, Obviously, usually they're involved in more plays via sacks and stuff. But if you're drafting a D tackle that high, like they're either like they're probably very good. That's why guys like Quinn and Williams go so high. Um, but then also like d- defensive tackles also involved in stopping the run and getting after the passer. And what we're seeing nowadays is like the the art of like a true nose tackle is kind of slowly dying because you if you're a D tackle and you're going that high in the draft, you need to be able to rush the passer and stop the run. So I, I agree with Tage that I think D tackles are becoming more valuable nowadays and you can see like the impact they're having on games. Um, and again, if all you need to do is look at the film of the 2019 draft class, because I would say in my opinion, three of the top five interior defensive linemen come from that class with uh, Jeffrey Simmons, uh, Quinn Williams and Christian Wilkins all have performed great this year. So yeah, to answer your question, I would um, go with interior D line over edge near the top of the draft. Yeah, and that was interesting, too, because even though, like, you know, I, I've kind of leaned on Anderson, I noticed that um, you look at, like, just for the Bears example, again, Eberflus's history, it, he had, um, at least when he was the D.C., the Colts, it seems like he was able to successfully push for moving a, a lot of capital into getting a premier defensive tackle and, you know, yeah. DeForest Buckner. Um, but, yeah, um, it's it's really interesting to me because I, I do think, kind of similarly to what Tej said, Last year, I would have said edge, but it's not even close. But now you're kind of, especially with how um, some te- a lot of teams are running the ball with more success this year that, you know, the, fun- the league is going to have to adjust to that. And you get that with elite defensive tackles or just really good ones. Um, one of my hopes this uh, offseason uh, is uh, um, if it looks like because Tennessee is going to change a lot, if they're going to commit to blowing up the roster, I really hope that uh, – um, Jerry Jones and company uh, are willing to move assets to get Jeffrey Simmons out of there. Um, <laughs> I I don't I don't think Mike Vrabel is going to let Jeffrey Simmons go after what AJ Brown did to him. <laughs> I'm being honest. Oh, oh yeah, I agree. That's just that's just that's my hope and prayer. Yeah, <laughs> my prediction. Because um, we we could really use that. Our run defense is definitely the most lacking part of it. Um, and I, I guess like one last question before I head off kind of just, you know, with the Cowboys. Um, I, I know this is looking two weeks ahead, um, but um, it looks like a lot right now, you know, there, it seems like both the market, even though they're having us a slim favorites and then even some projections. I, I don't know how like your opinion of this one, but like ESPN FPI, they have us as favorites going, you know, with that Eagles game. Like, what What do you, like, do you see that as, like, reasonable that we're favored in that game, I, I guess, is, like, the main question. Yeah, I think, so, you know, the, if you were to look at, like, the betting market implied ratings, 
uh, the, the, you know, kind of like what the casinos think about the Eagles and the Cowboys is they have the Eagles as 5.7 points better uh, than an average team on a neutral field and the Cowboys as 4.9 points better than an average team on a neutral field. So they're about a point difference. And then when you factor in home field advantage and, you know, different things, different factors like that, I, I could see a path for the Cowboys being, you know, favored in that game and the market, you know, really seems to respect the Cowboys, you know, having them as the fourth highest rated team right now. And, you know, from, from my perspective, I still just really like the infrastructure that the Eagles have in place on both sides of the ball with what they've done, you know, to allow Jalen Hurts to have, uh, you know, an MVP level season this year. He is the betting market favorite to win MVP as of right now. And then kind of what they have from, you know, the receiver position, the offensive line, and, you know, everything else that they have there. And that's why I, I would lean Eagles in a game against the Cowboys, you know, even on the road, because I think the Cowboys, you know, only weakness really is their run defense, especially yep. their interior defensive line. And the Eagles are, you know, the, the most efficient run game in the league right now with Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts, you know, having breakout years as rushers. So that's why I lean Eagles because of, from a matchup perspective. But I do think that they're a pretty similar level of teams in general. Yeah, um, you know, you talk about the weakness of the Cowboys. I think it is their run defense. You look at their interior defensive line, which has kind of performed above what I thought they were going to perform at, but those expectations were very low. The The Eagles' inside zone run game is the best in the NFL. Um, Jason Kelsey, Siamalu, and Dickerson really move people off the ball, and I think the Eagles will have success on the ground. And without, you know, the – Without for with the Cowboys not having their top two corners being out due to injury, Jaron Kersley being to injury, like I do think AJ Brown and Devontae Smith have the advantage on the outside, which could cause some problems for the Cowboys if they decide to stack the box and leave their corners in like man to man situations. So I, I think the Eagles offense poses some, you know, problems for the Cowboys defense. And, you know, that's something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I'm just really worried about how our defense holds up because, I mean, I think our offense is shaky as it can be. I think it, I think it can have some success. You know, I I think there's a, I I think there's a level of bad luck that Dak is having, but that's like a whole nother thing. But I don't know. I'm yeah, but like, I'm actually surprised. You know, at this point in the year, I'm like actually worried about the team without Anthony Brown because, you know, the backups are just that much worse. Uh, I actually actually thought J-Ron Kearse is going to be good to go because he had the injury scare, but he did play against Houston. Um, Oh, yeah, I think I was off on that. I saw saw him leave pregame due to injury, and I thought he was out, but my mistake there. But, yeah, he's he's definitely an important part of that Cowboys defense. Yeah, and – but – I don't know. I it's it's gonna be it's gonna be the the I feel like this game is gonna be the litmus test for you know both teams' potential playoff success. Um, what we can see out of them. Um, obviously, the Eagles are gonna make a lot of adjustments because I feel the way Dallas played last game, the the matchup in Philadelphia, they were a dack away from uh, making it a, a a like a fair contest, which I think the market is like fairly uh, value. Um, evaluating there um but yeah um thank you for answering my questions it's been it's been nice listening and i appreciate the work that you guys are doing so you have a good one yeah yeah thanks thanks for the kind words thanks for talking with us yeah thank you yo all right
What's good? What's up? First time in the space. Yeah. First time in the space. Appreciate you guys. <clears throat> um, yeah. Sorry for the way. Uh, no, nah, don't worry about it. Uh, quick question. What are your thoughts on J.K. Dobbins the next few weeks? Is he someone you could trust uh, in the flex spot in the fantasy playoffs? Big Dobbins guy. Loved him at Ohio State. Uh, obviously, he's not 100%, but he did look uh, – or he, he ended up doing pretty well last week, probably at you know, 70 75%. So just wondering uh, what the analytics guys think about uh, Dobbins going forward. I don't know if this is like a fantasy group or whatever, but uh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, thanks for the question. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk any type. Of football we usually don't talk fantasy but like we can we can talk about Dobbins here so just pulling up my numbers here um Dobbins is the the Ravens best running back right now according to my rushing yards over expected metric he has like a negative 0.1 rushing yards over expected this season and Kenyon Drake and Gus Edwards are negative 0.6 and negative 0.8 respectively and so Dobbins is also their most efficient rusher you know if you use expected points added per rush or just normal yards per carry. He's, he's topping all those metrics for the Ravens. So I do think that, you know, the Ravens being, you know, a pretty good game planning team from like a metrics standpoint will lean on Dobbins more. And this Ravens offensive line is, you know, kind of coming into its own, you know, that one Dobbins long run uh, last week was, you know, really like a very well-blocked run by this, this offensive line. And we know how much, you know, running back depends on, their offensive line. So I, I do like Dobbins going forward. I think I think you can rely on him in, in your fantasy lineup. Arjun, what are what are your some of thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean the Cleveland Browns run defense is as bad as they come. So uh there's no better matchup even with Huntley starting a quarterback or even if the Ravens offensive line is beat up, like the Browns run defense is like the best possible matchup for an opposing running back. And I think if the Ravens want to like have success in this game, it is going to be through the ground um, because I don't really trust Tyler Huntley uh, throwing the ball. It's like Demarcus Robinson and Mark Andrews and Devin DuVernay. Like I think it's going to be J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. So um, obviously, I think like I'm not a big fantasy guy, but I would kind of guess that Gus Edwards is the primary goal line back. So like it, you would have to be trusting Dobbins gets a lot of yards, um, and they're probably not going to pass the ball too much. So it really is a yardage based game, but. I think the Browns' run defense is pretty bad, so I would uh, I would lean going with Dobbins in the starting lineup. Good looks, thanks, guys. Yeah, good All luck right. on your uh, your fantasy matchup and and everyone here too. You know, everyone in the playoffs or you know trying to avoid uh, their last place punishment in in fantasy football this year. I hope I hope it goes well for everyone. Arjun, you want to wrap it up? Yeah, yeah. So um, again, really appreciate everyone coming on. Uh, like Tay just said. Um, you know, if you're if you're in your the finals of your fantasy matchup or semifinals, wish you all the best. Um, we do hope that everyone got some you know good insights out of this podcast. Uh, the the live Twitter spaces, like I know we spent a good amount of time uh, talking about the 49ers and Seahawks, which isn't really like a week 15 preview, but that was a really fun game to to you know follow and and watch. So um, I hope everyone enjoyed some of the guests we brought on. You know, a lot of great insights coming from people like Eric Eager and uh, Sean Syed and again this episode will be uploaded on our normal podcast Spotify Apple uh, later today so if you didn't get a chance to catch the whole episode or you want to re-listen to some of these things uh, just keep an eye out for that and look for Tage's Twitter to kind of announce that it's been uploaded Uh, but again thank you everyone so much for listening and until next time on Take the Points. 